Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's August 21st, 2014. This is On The Grid, episode 78. We discuss the events that have occurred in Ferguson, Missouri, and how media has affected it. Let's go. Gentlemen, how was your week? Mm, nondescript. Let's nothing start with work. Dan. Yeah. Dan, nothing happened for you? No, no nothing fun. It's almost as Just if Just some Dan, stuff you can't talk about. What? Yeah. It's, it's almost Dan's as if... Dan's got something to hide. Mm. Man, everybody's talking at the same time. Who's saying what? We started what? out on a good note, just talking over each other. Yeah. Good, good podcast vibe. <laughs> I was going to say, Dan, every week it's as if you don't expect Matt's question of how is your week. It's like you're like, as soon as he asks you, it's the first time you've thought about it. Like, oh gosh, mm, my week. Wasn't expecting that one. That's a real curveball. Let me try and figure out what was going on. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Like, <laughs> I don't come in pre-prepared of like, what the fuck have I done for the past seven days? Mostly. Dan is just a goldfish swimming through podcast episodes. Yeah. Every week is a brand new no, no, adventure. It is a pattern man, to Matt's man, questions. You guys, you guys have got to give me credit, though, because I'm like three hours behind you guys, so I'm rushing from the office. No, but, that's fair. Yeah. I would never, if it were reverse, I'd never make a show ever. So Boom. I can I can appreciate that. Yep. And Thursday night, so I stay up late because I like going to bed early. So this is my late night uh, situation Do you here. Really, would you be in bed by now? I would be in bed before we'd finish recording, not by now, not by the start of recording. Okay. Wow. Uh, but I'm in bed 1030 pretty much every pretty much every night. Yeah. Good for you. I straight up cannot go to bed before midnight. I can't even attempt to lay down to go to bed before midnight. See, I used to be that way. Have you tried? Have you just tried? Like really just done it? Yeah. Yeah. What happens is I just sit there uncomfortable for a long time. Yep. Because I, I used to think that was the case with me because I, I can stay up late. Like if I wanted to right now, I could just stay up for four or five more hours. As long as I'm looking at a computer and, you know, working on something and my mind's rolling, I can just kind of like, you know, go into a weird kind of uh, vegetative state and stay up for a very long time without really feeling too tired. But at the same time, if I go lay in bed, uh, maybe put a podcast on, uh, I will fall asleep pretty much immediately, no matter what time it is, almost. I could, I could probably go to bed at nine and still fall asleep pretty quickly. I do listen to some sort of podcast or people talking before going to bed probably every single night, but I would still, I think I would still just sit there for a while listening for an extra hour and a half if I went at 1030. Jeez. I don't know. What are your, Andy, uh, sometimes I think you're just like a generally healthier human being than I am. And every time you ask <laughs> questions like this, I'm like, no, not interested in bike riding. Yep. Not really that into organic cooking. And I don't go to bed early. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I'm definitely due for early onset carpal tunnel and various back problems. Uh, those are my, but that's the thing. I probably have that too. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you, can you make me feel good about myself? <laughs> uh, you're, you're a very talented, good looking man. And you make a great podcast. Thank you for editing the show every week. We don't thank you enough. Actually, for that. what's funny is Dan's going to edit this show. So Dan, if That's I can make right. a request, if you want to go ahead and double that one or like triple it, just add it in a couple of times throughout yeah. the show, I would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. So, you're, so you're about to leave the country, right, Matt? Yeah. Yes, I am. I'm going to Ireland, uh, to uh, London, and then Ireland. Get Actually, I just named airplane. a city, and then I named a country. But those are two places that I'm going to: um, London and Dublin for a week for uh, fun for vacation. For Which a fun is, vacation. It, it seems rare. Yeah. So oh, are you uh, but but you just did a vacation. So this is like vacation on vacation, right? I did a I did well, i I get usually about two weeks. If I add it all up, I think I get two weeks in a year. So I did, I can't remember how long ago, a couple of months ago. I'm trying to make use of all my time. Yeah. And do cool stuff with it. So yes, 
I did go on a different vacation at a different time earlier in the year. I don't. I can't remember when. No, it seems like a while ago. Yeah. Is there? Any, yes, Dan, you're correct. Is there anything in particular that you're you guys plan to do while you're over there, or is it just kind of whatever? There is one specific event. There is a football game that's happening that is kind of like it was it was a contest that my girlfriend's mom won tickets to go to the football game, which also involved like airplane tickets. And it was a great that's why we're going because she won a contest, which is awesome. Um, But then we're going to turn that into a whole thing. Like I I can't imagine I'm going to go and not visit either like the Guinness plant or the Jameson factory or one of those classic Irish things. Sure. Just destroy myself. Why not? (laughs) But yeah, I want to do those things. Okay. Um, I have been to Ireland before. I actually do. I know you're you're going to be shocked that Matthew Patrick McInerney has some family in Ireland, but I have visited family there before. Yeah, you don't say. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be very exciting. I am happy for you to go on a cool vacation. Thank you. Have you been to I won't come back having before? made a cabin, but... I just said that, Andy. Oh. Yes, I have been both places. I'm sorry. Andy's I, a bad listener. To be to be honest, I was triple checking to make sure that my uh, my garage <laughs> band was recording the right audio input, and I figured I could jump back in inconspicuously. But uh, <laughs> I've been found. You out. asked the question of the thing I just yeah. answered. No, that's fine. Matt, what's your yes, plan I next have. week? I've been to both. Uh, what's going on? You? <laughs> <laughs> are you uh, are you super anxious that uh, you have to leave work? Are you like trying to cover oh, all your bases always. and make sure that yes. everything's being taken care of? I uh, honestly, I, here's what happens when I go on vacation. I do not think about it until the week before. Then I have a full on panic attack about getting everything done that I need to get done in the period of time that I have. Uh, and then I don't relax until I'm on the plane and everything has been taken care of. But do you actually relax and not think about it while you're uh, walking around the, uh, Irish countryside? Mm, I think I relax like 75% 75% of the time and then occasionally I'll think about it and go, oh God, I got to do this thing. I got to check in. And then usually it's fine. <laughs> but I, there's never there's never 100% of the time I'm relaxed about it. That's just not, that's not me. Mm. Ooh, I am so glad I can shut off. Uh, last I don't th- have that thing. No, I don't have that button. Last time, Where do you keep that button? Uh, I don't know. It just gets pressed. Like last time we went on vacation. Was it under the hair the whole time? Yes. Yeah, what little hair is there? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, last time I went on vacation, I, I think it was when I left the office the last day before we were jumping on the plane the next day, I completely shut off uh, for the entire time. It was fantastic. <laughs> I was like, you, last email, bye suckers. If you need anything, talk to my manager. Peace. You, uh, you really strike me as somebody, Dan, that truly can just absolutely separate those things and you walk out of the office and it's like everything gets left behind. I think that's a very noble trait. I feel like I could picture you on vacation, like just forgetting who you are, not knowing, you know, where you're located, (laughs) just like totally getting into the chill. Yes, that is Alzheimer's and uh, maybe. (laughs) Didn't we just talk about swim through podcast episodes like a goldfish? Dan, I appreciate that ability. Yeah, no, it's not an ability, uh, it's a condition. (laughs) Short term memory loss. (laughs) It was all those years head banging that really fucked me up. What were we talking about? I've seen Memento, I understand. Yeah. Did you guys see the video of, uh, speaking of swimming through things, of uh, that enormous grouper eating that shark? Nope. Oh, there's a pretty cool video of a big grouper eating a shark. I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> it's <is> pretty awesome. <laughs> um, Dan, if you if there's a sound that it makes, Dan, why don't you go ahead and edit in a, uh, a grouper eating a shark? Yeah, okay. it's basically like a water splash. Just kind of a bubble it's noise. It's a water splash yeah. event. It's the guys going, what? <laughs> oh, my God, seriously? Did you get that on video, dude? What? That I'm happens. really just going to like 
take parts of the sound and just have your voice there anyways. That's yeah. That's going to be good. So while we're on the topic of international travel, um, something I've been talking about with some friends this week is whether or not I would ever move to another country. Um, the conversation has been spurred on by the fact that there's quite a few things obviously wrong with the country we're living in right now. And you don't say. Uh, yeah, there's quite a few things. You know, there's some allocation of taxes that I'm not super in support of. Uh, you know, there's some values I don't share. Some priorities maybe aren't in line with my own personal priorities. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I think this is something that comes up in my life sometimes where I think, you know, there are definitely other countries out there that are more in line with my values. You know, why don't I give them my tax money and support those systems that I sort of believe in more wholeheartedly than the system here in America? Um, have you guys ever thought about moving to another country? Yeah, totally. How, how, how I have to say, I, I don't think about it that seriously, but wow. I don't know. Like Dan, I, how seriously? Like, I'm not so pissed with everything in the country. I'm like, no, I have to leave. But I have thought about at some point, like, oh, we could move to, like, London because that's still, you know, like, super English-speaking but technically outside of the U.S. Um, I even thought about, like, moving to Sweden. Um, mostly because, like, we, we have extended family there. We visited there before. And just the experience was phenomenal that, like, that, that idea popped in our head. Or at least in my head of like, OK, I can move here. And it's even something huh. that like uh, like my mom. I mean, she's bit, she's lived in the South most of her life. But when we visited, like even she was like, OK, when we retire, we might just move here. I you know, I've visited a lot of other countries, um, but it really hasn't you know, it hasn't been a serious thought in my mind to really move to another country and live there. Are we talking about living there forever or just for a short period of time? Uh, who, who can who can say forever, man? You know, I mean, like for the. For, like moving for the foreseeable future, not like moving like, oh, I'll spend a year here, then I'll come back to America. Just moving to like see what it's like living in a new place and see where it takes you. Um, for I, whatever reason, I just have the attitude that like if I see something really wrong about this country, I tend to think, huh, how are we going to fix this? Instead of like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, yeah I, I think most people will probably share that. And I mean, it's it's an extreme position of privilege to be able to even consider just moving to another country. And I don't know about you, Matt, but like Dan and I, the industry we're in. Like we could get a work visa at almost any developed nation because there's so much thirst for like tech companies and tech talent uh, that we could probably go move anywhere if we wanted to. It wouldn't be like a visa issue for us to, to get into another country. Um, uh, yeah, I, I haven't gotten so far as like, you know, looking at too many practical considerations. But, you know, you look at so many countries in Europe and in places like Japan and it's just like, man, like the value system that has been codified into laws and has been built into like the government is just so much more. Like I, I have watched videos. I think I've said this on the show before. I have just watched videos of rush hour in the Netherlands and just been like, how is this even a place? Yeah. How does a place so great exist where like 60% of the population is on bikes and the other 40% is on public transit? Like how? I, I don't deserve that. I, I need to like, like it's so great. It's so, it's so much more what I care about. Uh, but it's like, yeah, I, I show your feeling, Matt, of like, can I just leave? Like, <laughs> just, you know, give up on uh, on this military police state that we're living in and go move somewhere else and give them my tax dollars. But I don't know. It seems very tempting right about now. But is it just like we're never going to fix this system? I've got to get out of here. Or I don't know what like what 
because I think my, you know, my like whatever mental lock is an extreme one way of like, well, I couldn't possibly go. So better figure out a way to fix this thing. Are you the opposite of that? No, I don't think I'm the opposite. The prospect of fixing all the things that are wrong, because everything is like so, so, so deep in this country. Um, Another thing I was talking about is how everyone talks about how America has a huge problem with race and racism. And we totally do, like an enormous problem with race and racism. But if you actually look at other developed countries, uh, usually other developed countries are actually much more racist, but they have a lot more homogenous of a population. So the issue of race is not so obvious or so prevalent. Uh, like, you know, there's so many places in Europe where the racism is just insane. And, you know, white people in most parts of Asia are totally treated terribly and you know, crazy stereotypes are levied against them. Uh, but it's like in those places, they're just a, such an enormous minority that, you know, it's not the thing that people talk about as much as the race problems here in this country where we have this such a conflicted history and not even conflicted. It's a shitty history. It's not conflicted. It's just terrible, um, of, you know, treatment of non-whites basically, uh, in this place. And then there's so many people from so many different backgrounds that these problems just bubble up to the surface all the time. Uh, and I feel like the prospect of fixing it is such a crazy, like, yes, I'm not like a fatalist. Like I think we should work to fix it, but the road is so, so long. Uh, you know, like, like the very, the seemingly simple thing of like, you know, the over-militarized police where you could say, oh, let's just fix it by taking away all the military gear. Cool, except the military gear is the result of this military-industrial complex that comes from the country spending like 45% of all of its money on defending itself uh, despite a lack of clear and present threats. Uh, And that money has to go somewhere and they're going to build a bunch of tanks and build a bunch of assault rifles and, you know, they're going to end up somewhere. And if it's not given to the police, where are they going to end up? I don't know. It's like there's so many layers of it and it goes so high up and so deep in the systems that we're living in that I don't I don't know how to begin fixing that, I guess. It's it seems so daunting. I guess that's true. But I there's also something I think about that. Uh, I feel like it's weird for me to say this because I feel like I'm mostly pessimistic about this kind of stuff. But like it's de- in many ways, we're definitely living in one of the best countries in some of the best conditions in the history of human existence so like oh for sure like what are we comparing to like here's the thing we're we're probably we're definitely talking about this because of the ferguson situation which is a terrible situation so and which is i don't want to i don't want to say that in like i don't want to say i don't don't want my previous statement to be demeaning to that in any way but i do stand by that like for most of humans in america we're living under the best conditions to be a human being that it that's almost ever been right. Of course, and and even you know, looking at sheer numbers, like it's in some ways, if you go back two hundred years, it's amazing now that we can be this upset about a single person being killed because you know we have this history of slavery and of lynching that is so close behind us uh, that you know everything was really really much worse a long time ago. And it's not to say it's good now and we shouldn't keep working, but uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right that there's no arguing that we're in one of the best situations that humans have ever been in in terms of you know being safe and you know, protected and, you know, in a developed place. Then, uh, so there's, is it, Oh, go ahead, Dan. Is it an issue? Because I kind of feel like, uh, we're, we're at a point in time where it's really easy to spread information very quickly. Uh, and I wonder if that's a factor in it that because one person was killed and there's such an uproar of it is because we finally have access to that information and can parlay it even further. And that that's why it makes things that are, 
technically smaller issues than it was in the past seem much bigger. See, I, I think you're right that it's because we have this immediate communication and this ability for photos and videos from a place to be live streamed across the entire country and globe. But I don't think that's an excuse to say, oh, this is blown out of proportion or oh, people are more mad than they should be. I think it's a thing to say this is the first time people have been as mad as they rightfully should have been for all of the past 40, yeah. 50 years when all the shit has been happening. Um, sure. It's that this stuff has been ignored and you know swept under the rug because we haven't had such a reactive and such a volatile global network of people. Well, it, it, I actually, it, it is kind of encouraging. Like, yeah. I brought up, I, I think we mentioned it last week, like I brought up the man in Brooklyn who was choked to death for selling cigarettes. And then like not that long ago, there's that shooting in Times Square of like innocent, you know, cops shooting innocent people. Um, it, I mean, it had been happening. It's, it happened plenty and plenty of times and it didn't happen to spark this outrage, which like, I don't know why it didn't or I don't know why this did, but it did. And I'm glad because that seems like it's a step in the right direction to change things. Um, so I don't know why anything previously hadn't, but like, it seems, it seems like it's a good thing that everybody at least is at least paying attention and doing something about it or, you know, as much as, or at least as much as tweeting is, but there is actual real action being taken. It's not just, um, talking on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the direction I was wanting to go in was because I feel like it's a little bit of a positive that that communication can be spread so quickly that we can actually, um, not as military, not as police, not as any officials, but just as like people who live in the country can actually feel like either we're taking action towards it or trying to communicate it further. So action can be taken to it. So I think it's because of that accessibility that we've, we're at a point where we could try to help fix it where in the past, I feel like because so few people knew about events like this that occurred more often that they couldn't be fixed as often. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think the, the media has played such an enormous role in this. I don't think it can be overstated because, uh, like you said, Matt, like, you know, what determines which, which you know, uh, unjustified murder of a, of a black man that becomes, you know, national news and becomes something that, you know, will be trending on every social network and be the thing people are talking about. I, I don't know what that sort of complex uh, array of variables is, but here we seem to have hit that where... There is enough people mad enough and sharing enough types of content that uh, this is the one that's going to maybe get people's attention for a little while. And I hope it, you know, I'd like to say that this is hopefully going to change some people's minds uh, or at least make people more aware of something. But I mean, the fact of the matter is this kind of thing happens, not just happens and isn't, but like this kind of media storm happens every once in a while too. And still, you know, think of Trayvon Martin and, you know, that happened just what, two years ago, uh, three years yeah. ago. And, yep. you know, I, I don't know what's really changed since then. Uh, you know, uh, George Zimmerman gets off. Great. Cool. Back on the streets. Uh, you know, I don't know. The problem is so, like I said, like these, these I, I get kind of like uh, a little depressed about it because the systems are so broken on so many levels. Uh, like the legal system is broken and the like system of government that's making these laws is broken and all the people that are in the system are just a subject of the whims of, you know, whatever we sort of built for ourselves. And I don't know, it gets, it's so tough. It's so, so, so tough. And it's just like, I, I have like a cough because I haven't really been sleeping that much because I've been spending most of my evenings just up reading live streams and reading people on Twitter because I feel like I should be watching this happen. Uh, and it's been, it's been hard. Well, that's actually, I mean, 
the the other thing too is I wonder like at what point you have to stop doing that. Like there is this kind of guilt of like, I need to be paying attention to every single detail of it or I'm uninformed. I'm a stupid, like ugly American. And forget stupid and ugly. You're complicit in this horrible system that is abusing people and killing people, like straight up killing people. Like at what point do you have to turn off and not pay attention so you can be a healthy human being? Uh, That's something I ask myself all the time, Matt. I I do. I don't know. I do. I don't have an answer to that question. I'm, I just don't know like what – because it does seem like it gets to a point where it is just you know, your own little echo chamber where you you confirm the things you already knew. You're not doing anything new about it mm-hmm. and like I haven't, I haven't read that many – I don't tend to – like I feel like I'm not reading a ton of new news stories about it all the time. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of different people say the same thing over and over again, which I agree with. But it's a lot of people saying the same thing over and over again and me feeling like if I don't read every single one of these, then exactly what you said, I am in, I'm complicit in this problem. Um, but in reality, like I'm not really doing anything all that effective for most of that. Like, And I'm, and I'm, I'm not doing anything. Like I'm just being aware of it. Yeah, but um, – And I'm not sure what – I don't know. I'm not solving any problems. Yeah. Uh, I guess my biggest question is like uh, – or I, the thing for me is that there's not really any tools that we have available um, as non-politicians and non-other officials uh, that we could use to actually change stuff. I mean, like, because well, it, protests. People are protesting. That's a tool in your sh- in anyone's sure, toolkit. But uh, the the return that you get on that actually pushing something in a positive way is always variable it, it it's kind of a russian roulette of success of whether or not the protest you you enact forever for however long is actually going to change anything you know and that's well i remember asking that question a lot when when um occupy wall street was happening I was like i, I went to, yeah. down there quite a bit just to just to see what was going on like i was very curious about what was actually happening and like you know you, at first it seemed so promising it seemed like Maybe things were going to change because people are like really like dropping everything to just go hang out, like hang out in this square and protest. Mm -hmm. But then you go back and you're like, I think it's mostly just people like using this as an excuse to be anywhere. Like maybe they were just like kind of like kids who weren't doing anything otherwise. Mm -hmm. And like here's a movement that it could have been almost anything. And then it turns into its own little community that doesn't even necessarily have that doesn't even have the original goal in mind. And then people aren't even necessarily clear on what the original goal was. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, like that's exactly what's happening in Ferguson right now too. Like people, I, I, I am also very critical of protests in general and exactly what they're out to accomplish. And you know, the protests in Ferguson started out as something very, very concrete. It was like, Hey, this kid is dead. We have heard nothing from the police about any repercussions or investigation or anything about the person that did this to somebody in our community. We've heard no explanation. Like, we need answers. That's a very concrete protest. And my, my, my biggest thing with Occupy Wall Street is I was like, okay, you have a problem with the division of wealth in this country and you're going to sit in this park until what? Like, what are your demands? Are your demands that wealth be redistributed communist style? Are your demands that some law be passed that once you're past a certain amount of wealth, you have to start spewing? Like, there was no concrete actionable item. Like, if you were the person in power watching this happen, that you couldn't be like, oh, they're right, let me just do X, uh, which was my biggest problem with that. And, and now what's happened in Ferguson is like, 
what started out as a very concrete protest, like we need to, we are the members of this community, we want to know what's happened with this situation, has turned into like, you know, a very general like protest of police militarization and of race relations and of stuff in this country that you can't solve overnight. You can't solve by saying, oh, those people are right, let me just make this change. Um, so I feel like uh, that's kind of what's happened there too, is it's become a spectacle, uh, which is good because people are aware of it. And it's also bad because the people in this community that want answers about this person that they probably knew personally uh, now are kind of have all of that clouded up with these big issues that need addressing. But, you know, these people that are showing up there to, you know, film everything. And I, heard, I saw someone on Twitter talking about how one journalist had mentioned they were going there to network with other journalists because it was such yeah. a, like, hotbed of news activity. And it's like, we don't, Shit. no one needs that. Like, no yeah. one needs you going to this like ground zero of like race relations in this country to network. Like that's some fucked up shit. Um, so now it's like, there's so many things in play that it's such a complex situation and it wasn't simple before, but at least, you know, you knew what people were mad about. And now it's like, there's so many things to be mad about uh, that it's hard to, you know, have an action to take at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's the most frustrating part for me to watch a lot of this because it started out, like you said, very concrete, and it was the community that had the biggest concern and that they were the ones in the streets actually um, enacting the protests and, and everything else. And what it's turned into now is almost this idea of celebrity. I mean, like even Jack Dorsey went down to Ferguson um, he, I'm pretty sure he's not from Ferguson. I don't know if he really has any ties <laughs> to Ferguson, but he was there and he was, you know, live tweeting from Ferguson. And the thing that really frustrates me is that it's, it's not just journalists. It's people who feel like they almost have a right because of whatever feelings that they have to go and participate this. And I, I, I think that's what ended up diluting a lot of it is that there ended up being more opinions that were outside of Ferguson that just lodged themselves in. And, and maybe that is actually something that was a negative impact of um, how prolific, you know, all the tweets and everything and, and all the coverage was, is that because it was so widely covered across uh, the nation that people around said like, well, yeah, I can get a plane ticket or I could drive over there because I want to participate in this, even though, you know, I'm not a resident who knew the kid who ended up being shot. And, and ultimately, I don't want to be too critical because, like, frankly, I think if, you know, 1% of the country got on airplanes and drove their cars and showed up in Ferguson, like, that would be a huge statement uh, yeah. that, you know, we are collectively standing behind these people that are being totally <clears throat> marginalized and beat to, beat to shit by the police force in that town. So, like I, like, I think there are bad eggs, but ultimately, like... People going to Ferguson, not generally a bad thing. Like I think that's good in the in the grand scheme of things. It just complicates things to a certain degree. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of come back to what you were saying, Matt, about like you know how much do you let yourself care before you uh, you just you know kind of push it off the front burner and let yourself be healthy and happy again. Um, that's, that's something I'm thinking about a lot because I, I when at least when I was in college, you know, going to a, an art school with lots of progressives and liberals and radicals of various kinds. You know, I had a lot of friends that would go to protests regularly about things I'd never even heard of, and they would tell me about this thing we were going to protest, and I was like, cool, have fun. Um, and being politically involved was a huge part of who they were, uh, which is great. I don't mean to criticize that in any way, but I, I, I feel the same way you do, Matt, and it sounds like you too, Dan, where it's like if I'm not 
actually activating change, then I don't want to like go as a kind of placebo for my own, you know, well-being. Like, oh yeah, I contributed, so I'm doing my part. Um, I, I, my first like political thing I ever went to was here in Baltimore before we recorded last week. Uh, the the sort of national moment of silence and uh, the march in through downtown for for the thing happening in Ferguson, and um, it was a very interesting experience because like there was a bunch of it was actually like three or four different political events that were all happening about the same subject within a few blocks of each other, but they were organized by different groups. Um, I learned there's apparently a group in Baltimore that every single Wednesday uh, goes down and protests uh, like police killings in our own city because there's quite a few of uh, those very similar killings where police have killed people and there's been no explanation of why or how or what happened. Um, so like family members go down and protest and you know I got to see a lot of family members like speaking through uh, loudspeakers and telling their story and it was really pretty intense. But at the same time, it's like the way this works is there's some sort of you know, public posting, and in this case, it's on Facebook entirely. Um, in the past, I'm sure it was on you know flyers around town or on the radio, possibly. And people show up, uh, and then ultimately, like whoever just shows up with a with a loudspeaker with a bullhorn, they're in charge because people just showed up there because they felt like they cared about this thing. And all of a sudden, there's somebody telling me to walk around this way, and we're going to go over to City Hall, and we're going to say this thing in front of City Hall, and we're going to do this and that. And I'm like you just in charge because you showed up with a loudspeaker. Like who said you got to say what, what we do? <laughs> um, so it's a really crazy dynamic where, you know, I was there because I really wanted to like show that this was important to me. Uh, and also partially selfishly because I wanted to feel a little better. I feel like I was doing something about it. Uh, Cause I, I feel the same way you do Matt, where it's like, I'm sitting here reading tweets and what the hell does that mean? Other than now I feel shitty about how this country works. Um, but yeah, it was so strange just to be like, okay, bullhorn guy showed up. He's down here and he's in charge. Um, and there was a guy like in an Occupy Wall Street T-shirt with like a hand drum, and I'm like, "You brought your hand drum? Like, what's the hand drum gonna do? Like, you're just a, <laughs> you're just a go to protests guy, clearly, uh, yeah. which is cool if that's who you are, but I feel like it's got to dilute something uh, to show up at everything with a hand drum and just do your thing. Um, so I don't know, man. It's uh, it's just so many weird social dynamics at play. So I I guess we're talking about this because it's it's kind of the question of like. Is there anything we can do to change the system, or do you just have to get out? Is that how we started this conversation? Yeah, yeah I kind of tricked us into talking about it by asking if anyone wanted to move to a different country. No, no, country. sure. <laughs> no, and I think that's fair. And also, it's funny. I mean, you weren't even here for the Gatamba episode, but like that was a that was an episode very much about like concrete ways that we're going to change the city that we live in or the, you know, the system that we work under or whatever, you know, whatever it is, some sort of strategic design plan to change this thing. And we're talking about how helpless it feels, but is there any like concrete thing that actually is doing a good job of this? Are there any examples we're pointing at that, wow, this is really working and things are changing. Is Ferguson going to be that for, for America? I don't know, man. I was reading about the uh, the L.A. riots the other week because people were drawing comparisons, and it's like shockingly similar what happened in L.A. Like there, basically, there was a horrific police beating of a black man that was caught on camera uh, that then got circulated, and then eventually, when the police officer was acquitted of all charges, like the whole city went to shit. Uh, and they were a lot more violent uh, than the uh, than the protests in Ferguson. Um, they started more violent, and the National Guard called it, and it got even more violent. Um, but like this happened, this exact same story happened and this wasn't talked about in my history classes. This wasn't something that I was aware of. This happened while I was alive too. And I still like, wasn't talked about it. Like nothing changed in, in my white suburban bubble about anything. 
so I, it's hard to say, like, I, I don't want to be too pessimistic, but it's hard to believe that Ferguson will have the kind of impact that I really want it to, uh, which is actually changing people's minds and, and hearts about this. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, one ma- major factor in that too is, like, I, like I'll even feel it sometimes where something like this will go on and the thought will go through my selfish brain of like, this doesn't actually affect me in my normal everyday life other than what I read in the news, which is very frustrating. Exactly. No, it's the thing. It's like my, all of my sadness and like anger and frustration and lack of sleep about this whole thing is totally self-induced. If I just did not read those subjects on Twitter and did not read all the articles and did not read the Wikipedia pages about the history it would never affect me. I'm not, yeah. I'm completely unaffected by this. I'm privileged enough that I can just totally ignore it and live my life. And like, there's something so appealing about that because I would be happier and healthier probably. Uh, but I, I can't bring myself to do it on this particular subject. And there's a million other things we could be talking about right now that just aren't in the news currently. Uh, like immigration is also totally fucked up and like so many other subjects that people are equally passionate about. The treatment of native Americans is totally shot to hell too. Uh, but I don't know. None of those things get me as feel makes me feel as personally invested as what's happening right now in Ferguson. And so it's like this is a thing that happens to resonate with me, and here I am not sleeping as much as I should be. I guess. So, so yeah, I don't know, Matt. Do you get out? Do you try and fix it? Um, I, I was thinking about. I mean, so without being too um, dismissive, like the things that I think selfishly that we could possibly do. Like I was just fantasizing this afternoon about being able to be like the design director of a city's police force and how much of an effect you could have in that position and just to be able to design the uniforms and to be able to design the website where you can talk about what the police force does. I was looking at police force websites across the nation and they're all like basically like as if they were designed by 13 year old boys to show off like all the cool toys and shit they have. Like it's just pictures. Well, do you remember that example of, I want to say it was Milwaukee and I apologize if I get it wrong because I, it's, it's, um, one, I'm going to say it as a negative, takes over but where it's designed where it, and like, it's, yep. yeah. And it just looks like it's the trailer for a Terminator yeah, movie. It's, that's exactly um, and it was what it looks passed, like. Yeah. This is a Milwaukee. And it was passed around as an example of great web design. And it is certainly an example of really cool tricks that you can do on a web page, cool. but it, it is really not mad. an example or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's a reason people were passing that link around. And it was not because they gave a shit about the police force or what was being conveyed. It was because it was like really cool photography that would have been cool in a movie about um, murdering people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But and it, this is, this is your correct, it, Ultimately, like it, it made a police force look like a death machine. It's, it's, which is and, what they are in so many ways. That's what they're trained to be. It's what they're, they're trained to think that the world is against them and it's good versus bad. And they're supposed to be like the hammer of justice, uh, not like members of the community that are supposed to help and contribute. Uh, and you're right, Matt. It is, it's MilwaukeePoliceNews.com for those of you wondering what the website is and want to go to it. Um, yeah, like, but like, like I know that's like such a small part of what's happening here, but like that's the little tiny way that I actually have some expertise and I feel like I could contribute. Uh, and what an amazing opportunity it would be to be like, all right, someone just put me in charge of the entire brand of a police force and I get to decide how this is going to be communicated to the community like you could have a real impact there uh if you had that much control but of course none of us are ever going to get to that place of course is we're just stuck here <laughs> building well you don't necessarily know that I mean I I really want to say up front on this one like I feel so many levels of like stupid and naive and silly even bringing this up like even having this conversation about like 
man, what what you could do with the visual identity for a police force in the midst of all this. Like, I really want to get that out, get in front of that and say, it just seems so, it I seems, feel like there's a lot of sentiment petty. on Twitter that it's like, seems yeah. so petty and trivial that like, we should just stop doing everything and just, um, I don't even know, go sit in a corner and rock back <laughs> well, and forth I mean, I, I, and I, be I do sad. want to be clear that if someone's listening to this and they really care about this subject and you haven't done a lot of reading, there are much better places to find out about it than this show. Uh, so, that's so fair. This is That's not the fair. place where you find out about that. But if you want to hear three uh, graphic designers like kind of hem and haw about how this possibly affects them, that's what we're that's what we can actually talk about. Uh, so, on, on, <laughs> I, I I actually was my the first time I ever had anything to do with anything related to politics was I was a kid in college and I was very excited about the Obama campaign. Mm, yeah, me and too. And I went down to the uh, the headquarters in Savannah, Georgia, and said, "Hey, what can I do?" And they said, I don't know, what are you good at? And I'm like, well, I go to school for graph design. If I'm qualified to do anything, I guess it's that. And that's when like, Matt okay, designed the Hope poster. Can you? <laughs> well, <laughs> and they're like, well, then can you make some signs? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, I can make some signs. I was like, do you have like a printer or anything? And they're like, no, but we have this cardboard and these markers. And so I sat there for a while kind of drawing rally signs and thinking about it and feeling really kind of silly because I was maybe getting like one sign done every hour for a large group of people that were never going to get anything done. Or like, I mean, sorry, for a large group of people that were going to use these, but probably only have like three signs by the time I had to leave to go, you know, go to class or something. And so ultimately I just went, to, I, I designed the sign, I went to Kinko's and I, I just considered a d- donation and just spent like however much to print like you know, the hundred that they needed and dropped them off and said, okay, I think I did what I can do. Here you go. Um, but like, I've never felt like at first I was so energized and then I left being like, mm, my participation <laughs> in this was pretty meaningless like, and I didn't shit, really I'm do anything. Designer. Fuck. Yeah. No, kind I of. feel that way yes, a lot. Absolutely. Uh, like nothing makes me question my, uh, my personal job more than, uh, than some shit in the news that I feel really passionate about that I can't contribute to in a meaningful way. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, I, I think about that too. Like, I, you know, I, I like being a designer. I think it's important. And, you know, I think for more follow-up on that, like I think the episode you had with Katamba really touches on how important being a designer can be. But, um, you know, generally it's like, you know, I look at what scientists are doing to like make the world a better place very concretely and like cure diseases and find out more about our world to educate people now and in the future. And it's like, maybe I could have done something better with my life. Who knows? Uh. I, and I, I really do love being a designer. There's nothing I'd rather be doing, but, uh, I do want that. That's more, I wonder like what, how can I do the things that I really like doing in a way that is more beneficial to the world? Is that something I, capable of doing or do I just need to like donate to charity more often with the money that I make doing this, which I think you've talked about is like the thing that I do that's good in the world is start a company that gives my friends healthcare, yeah. which is totally noble. What's wrong with that? Yeah. No. So, okay. I'm thinking about something though. It just, I mean, it just reminds me of like, you know, the people that actually donate a hundred dollars to ALS instead of um, dumping ice water in their head, which oh. seems like the uh, yeah. We're going to talk about that. No, no, we're not going to talk. About I don't know. That. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> I didn't. I don't really want to. I'm actually not annoyed by it like everybody else. I'm really glad that they're raising money for charity. I'm not annoyed by it it's either. Good. I think it's interesting. 
The thing that was really interesting to me about that was was not anything about the actual ice bucket challenge itself. Uh, like I think there's some interesting stuff to think about there, especially if you're really into social media and virality and that kind of stuff. But what was really interesting to me is that on my Facebook, I have pretty much eliminated, I've really carefully uh, chopped down my Facebook friends. So it's mostly my family, which is extensive, uh, and then like very close friends of mine, uh, and there's not any like cruft in there. Um, and oh, so that's why we're not friends on Facebook. That's cool. Yeah, you, you might be one of the 200 people <laughs> sitting in my queue. Um, so, but I thought it was really interesting that Facebook was nothing but the ice bucket challenge for the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, like every, I, I've seen a video of almost every single member of my extended family uh, and my immediate family, all my brothers and sisters, all their kids, all of my cousins, dumping ice water on their head. Uh, and I have not seen a single peep from any of them about Ferguson or anything happening in the rest of the country. Uh, and Twitter is the polar opposite. You know, I follow mostly people I don't know, mostly people that I admire their take on the world or I admire what they do for a living or I think they are interesting or funny. Uh, And those people have been almost exclusively talking about this issue uh, with the only mention of the Ice Bucket Challenge to be like, hey, look at this. The white suburban world is dumping ice on their head. Isn't that funny? Um, So like there's such a crazy divide and I feel like I'm just straddling it. Like if I had not gone to college in Baltimore, and been exposed to all these other ideas, I would be two feet in the ice bucket world. I probably would have done it already. Uh, but I did sort of expose myself to this new, not new, to this world that was otherwise blind to me. And now I have like my my, my passion and my heart is over there and my roots are, are in an ice bucket in the suburbs uh, outside of Philadelphia. And it's like such a crazy, such a crazy divide. It's pretty nuts. And part of it too is like both Facebook and Twitter uh, the way they responded to kind of the, like, from what I've seen people write articles or at least, you know, document the fact that, like, Ferguson has not been shown on Facebook at all. Like, there's been a lot of either active quelling of it or, like, the algorithm that is built just naturally, not naturally, the algorithm they built kind of took out Ferguson News just by its design, uh, not, you know, maliciously because they designed it to sort of take things out. I don't know if that's because... Facebook wants to be more about keeping up with people you care about than about the news. And it kind of like tries to minimize like recent news stories or, or what, but, uh, it's like, it's kind of crazy to think about how many, how many people rely on these systems to get all, like if I didn't have Twitter, I would not know shit about what's happening in Ferguson. I've not watched a television at all. Uh, I have read maybe one or two articles on major news websites only because I was pointing to them from Twitter. Uh, so you know, we talk about filter bubbles, like I'm in a serious filter bubble on Twitter and a very different one on Facebook. Uh, and so it's very easy to think about is how people start to rely on these things for their news, how your perspective on things gets totally skewed, uh, which is scary, right? Mm-hmm. It is scary. I, uh, I actually, I have found the same thing to be true and I'm, I'm sure it's, it's by, you know, I'm sure it's by design of Facebook. Like I'm, I'm, I can almost guarantee that people are going to spend more time on, on the site that is, uh, a little bit less depressing than the yeah. one that is the most less depressing. videos of people I mean, that shooting seems like black people. That would not be a good thing to have pop up and play automatically in your Facebook feed. I imagine. I would imagine that's probably true, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Andy. I mean, I feel like, I mean, this has been 45 minutes. I I'm glad we have this conversation. Uh, I don't, I feel like me talking about anything else would have been really feigning some passion because I have a hard time giving a shit about anything else right now. Honestly, um, so I'm really glad we have this conversation. I feel like it was not terrible. <laughs> like I know we're, we're in this weird position of not really being able to talk about it in a super informed or intelligent way, but I don't know. At least we're contributing a little bit to the noise that's happening. That's the least we can do, right? 
Yeah, I feel like it was more constructive than some stuff that, like we were talking about what a graphic designer could do in situations like, like in. Oh in, God, dude, that's, I'm, I, that sounds so funny. If you're a graphic I mean, like, designer but, but, out there and you're upset with the way that America's working, go and take control of the design of your nearest police force or military group and start making them seem a little more friendly. Maybe take away their guns and tanks and give them uh, flowers to give to people. No, my, my happy ending is a is an app actually, um, one of the few apps that I actually use. Uh, you know, I think everyone starts to realize when they get a smartphone that it's fun to download a bunch of apps, but you end up using most of them very infrequently. Um, and it's a game called Olo. Uh, it is a kind of a reimagination of shuffleboard for touch devices. So the way it works is you have like a a, a board that is on the entire screen and uh, you get these handed these kind of uh, circles of different sizes and you kind of throw them across the screen to try and put as many in your scoring section as possible by bouncing your opponents out and it's a very simple mechanic uh, but there's a lot of kind of complex strategy that can be developed around around that simple mechanic Um, so it's a really interesting little game more than that I've always really admired the the design and the marketing of the game Uh, you know they have this uh, kind of very cute but not overly childish kind of style to it where um, it's got really excellent sound design and really good sound effects as things are bouncing around. Um, There's these really long fingers that grab the pieces when they get uh, captured that reach onto the screen. Uh, You get the sense they try to draw like a hand, but then hands were hard, so they just made the finger as long as it had to be, sometimes you know, very, very long to go grab the pieces away. Um, And the name even, I I think about the name all the time as being so good. Uh, So the name is Olo, O-L-O. Uh, and the name is just an abstraction of the game board because the O's are like the pieces and the L is like the, the midline, which separates the two scoring areas. Uh, so the name came from kind of like the actual visuals of the board itself uh, translated to language, uh, which is a really interesting way to come up with the name and totally effective because it matches what the game feels like and just feels totally kind of complete. Um, so I, I look back at that. It's been around, it's been out for a long time. I've had it for the entire duration of my time having an iPhone. Uh, and I feel like it's just, uh, I look back to it all the time as one of the best examples of like a complete, perfect package of an app uh, where just something simple, probably didn't make a million dollars off of it. Uh, you know, it's just basically shuffleboard on your phone, uh, but every little decision is made perfectly and the end result is just very, very delightful. Um, not to overuse a word that everyone uses, throws around all the time these days, but uh, it's a really great little app uh, that I do recommend. And also, the other thing I really like about it is that it is uh, primarily played in person uh, as a two or four player game. Uh, so you're using this device, which is so often used just to access the internet and kind of unplug from real life and plug into this extra digital life. And instead, you're kind of using your device to interact with people that you're in the same physical space as. Uh, and it's really nice and so rare to have somebody make a, a game or an app that really does that in a cool way. Um, so, so Olo is my happy ending. This has been On The Grid, episode 78. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, tweet to us using the hashtag onthegrid, or just catch us individually at MadamC, at Andy Mangold, or at Dan Hour. If you want to submit an article for us to talk about on the show, feel free to visit onthegrid.reddit.com. 
you enjoy the show, please, please do be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks to Cosmic Analog Ensemble for the interlude music and Girlfriends for the theme music. But more importantly, thanks to you for listening. You're the best.